0: Hey everyone, Ben here with a quick interruption before we get into today's episode to let you know that we have been nominated for a Sports Podcast Award. Yippee! That is very, very exciting. We are actually incredibly honoured and excited to have that nominee. And you, the listener, yes, the very person that is listening to this right now, can help us win a Sports Podcast Award and get us on the podium for once rather than always being off the podium. To do so, head to sportspodcastawards.com. Dot com register to vote click on the best Olympic and Paralympic podcast category where you can then vote for us to win now you will have to listen to the other nominees as well but let's be honest you know you're going to vote for us because you're listening to our show today which means we know you like us and we'd very much appreciate the vote in advance Sportspodcastawards.com, that's how you do it and we thank you in advance and everybody who votes for us We promise to thank you in our acceptance speech, should we win. Right now, I'm going to shut up, play some music, and then you're going to hear me talk again as we get into today's episode of Off The Podium. Enjoy.
1: They're standing and they're applauding that dramatic performance by James Torvald and Christopher Dean. Alex Philodeau. Uh-huh. It takes a lot to make him happy and he is clearly pleased. She's up, she's moving nicely. She's got it. Oh, yes. down Stable, 132.67. Has won at least the medal. She's 0.24 up Yuki. On the ice for the Gimlo. The Gimlo. it it.
0: It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you again today for an athlete interview as we get closer and closer to Beijing. Nordic combined for you today, I mentioned yesterday, about an exciting chat we have with an Olympian, our first ever Olympian when it comes to Nordic combined. Three time Olympian, too, if you don't mind, and World Championship bronze medalist, Taylor Fletcher from the US. This is a great chat. Taylor's very, very honest and open about challenges that he has in the sport, challenges the sport has in general in the US, and a, a real kind of roller coaster of a career that he has had through his three Olympics. And it's it's fascinating to hear him tell his story from the extreme highs that US Nordic skiing had Back in Vancouver in 2010, right through to some pretty deep lows and sort of where we're at right now on the sport in the US leading up into Beijing. So this is a, a compelling chat. You're going to get a lot from this and a potential T-shirt line coming out of this too, which uh, I think we should all keep an eye on because it is definitely a T-shirt that I will be wearing during Beijing if it happens. Here is our chat with three-time US Olympic Nordic combined athlete, Taylor Fletcher. Nordic combined to me is the greatest winter sport that exists and today we're going to speak more about it today with our very first Olympic Nordic combined athlete competed in three Olympics in Vancouver, Sochi and Pyeongchang. He's a world championship bronze medalist and on track to go to his fourth Olympics in Beijing, which of course is just around the corner. It's a pleasure to welcome to off the podium today, Taylor Fletcher, Taylor, first of all, mate, pleasure to have you on off the podium. Welcome to the show thank you i'm excited to be here i am so excited to always talk about nordic combined you and i were having a bit of a chat off air just about uh, my love of the sport as i said it's the greatest winter sport i mean can we just try and make this the biggest sport in the world i'm sick of soccer being the biggest sport in the world it should be nordic combined right i
1: agree i mean i think it is uh probably one of the toughest sports in the world so you know um Anything we can do to get it up to the levels of, you know, pro soccer, uh, pro football in the U.S., I think, you know, uh, we
0: should do that. I'm learning a lot about Steamboat Springs, that this seems to be basically the hotbed for for Nordic combined in the U.S. And and it seems like everybody who comes from this town basically is a winter Olympian. I mean, you're from there as well. What is it about Steamboat Springs that just breeds winter Olympians?
1: Well, you know, first, um, one of my former teammates said something that you know I think is very, very true with uh, Nordic combined and and the Olympics and call it in Steamboat, and that was there are more kids that go to the winter sports club and dream about winning an Olympic gold medal than there are about hitting a home run in the ninth inning of the World Series or throwing that game-winning touchdown pass in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, I think it's it's that community really, um, truly. And honestly, it's been ingrained in the history and the, and the lifestyle of so many Olympians and, and athletes that come through steamboat, um, that it's, you know, you grow up, you, you go to the winter sports club and you go to training every single day after school. And in the summer you're at training every single day. And it's, you know, one of those community stakeholders that really holds a, the town together um and it produces amazing athletes and for yourself
0: i mean that kind of how you grew up isn't it uh, in terms of just basically almost being born with these skis on on your feet i believe you got started in the sport about four years old i mean was this sort of like a destiny kind of going back to what you're just saying living in a town like this that it's kind of was always going to be this way that you would be involved in some form of winter sport
1: uh, i mean uh i gotta credit my brother a little bit on that um you know, my brother, Brian was, a uh, three-time Olympian, um, or two-time Olympian. And really, you know, he's the one that pushed me to be, you know, an athlete, uh, you hear it time in and time out that the younger brother always wants to beat the older brother. Um, there's been performance data on this. There's been, you know, studies that the younger one's going to seem to pick it up quicker, uh, And obviously I didn't know anything about that when I was young, but all I knew is I wanted to challenge my brother. I wanted to do everything that he did and it drove me into the sport. I actually started in hockey, found out really quickly hockey wasn't something that I'm any good at. I couldn't hockey stop. And so then went straight into Nordic combined that winter and, and, uh, found really, you know, pretty quickly that Uh, I had some sort of endurance for a young kid and I had that, you know, minimal fear that every young kid has. And it made that perfect combination to really, you know, allow me to excel in the sport and, and, you know, have as much fun
0: as possible. So when you go into the sport, is it a case of straight away going, I want to do Nordic combined? Or is it a case of I'm going to start in the cross country and then see how I go with the jumping? Or I'm going to start in the jumping and see how I go in the cross country. Like is it a common thing to purely say Nordic combined rather than starting in one and then deciding to combine the two?
1: Yeah, a little bit of both. Uh I would say in 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 the Steamboat Springs More sports club, we had cross country and we had Nordic combined. Cross country obviously is just the cross country athletes. They always did their their thing. Nordic combined was everybody started out as Nordic combined. And then as they got on, they had the option to either do just cross country, to do ski jumping, or to stay with Nordic combined. And there was never a thought or a idea of going any other direction um, you know, from that very first, you know, year I was hooked. Uh, it was, it was a, it was a drug, you know, in a sense that I, you know, my mom had to pull me away from the hills to get me to come home. Wow. Jeez. That's incredible. Cause I mean, it, it seems to be a
0: sport and I'm a big fan of modern pentathlon for the summer Olympics. So like, I like these sports where obviously you're combining different sports because as kids, what are we doing? We're playing 50 different sports. You're saying you're playing hockey. I'm sure you're playing other sports too. You're getting your footing in, in different sports to see what you end up being good at. So it seems to be perfect for kids because, again, you are combining two sports together and if you love them both equally, combine them, boom, you've got yourself a perfect sport.
1: Yeah, I mean, Nora combined wasn't the only sport that I did, but... What I found really, really well was, and, and pretty quickly was the fact that Nordic combined was making me good at whatever sport that I wanted to play. Um, I played high school soccer, you know, and I had the endurance um, that no, no one really on the team had because I was a, an endurance athlete. Um, you know, I had the quick twitch fibers from the ski jumping that allowed me to, you know, move quickly in any direction. Um, you know, we've, we've talked for years and years about how specialization in sport causes the early burnout into, you know, fatigue and injury. And with Nordic combined, it's, you can do literally anything and enjoy it. And you're helping your body kind of progress, uh, and grow up and, you know, be able to handle whatever.
0: And also with the mental side of the ski jumping thing too, I can imagine growing up, it helps you mentally uh, in, in life as well. I mean, do you find that kind of has a, a knock-on effect that you can use the the mental skills you're building up in that side of things in everyday life?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the hardest things you have when you're a young kid is, is letting go of that bar and uh, climbing some of the towers that we jump off, you know, Lake Placid, New York. I mean i remember my first jumps off that i was terrified but once you let go of the bar it's like you've done it a hundred times um you know there's there's a lot of things that um people you know there's one thing that a lot of people don't understand is how i'm afraid of heights wow you know you put me on the top of a tall building and you know it, it i get that uncomfortable feeling looking straight down but i climb out on that bar and i let it go and fly through the air and it's like zero fear whatsoever. Um, and yeah, I mean, every time you progress up to a new Hill, you have to kind of overcome that fear, um, pretty quickly because there's no turning back once you let go. And, you know, if you start to hesitate, that's when things can go wrong. And so you have to get with, you know, full energy and full confidence. And usually, you know, you come away, and you're like that wasn't bad at all. Let me do it again wow. and again and yeah. again, and uh, you know it's it's just a great feeling.
0: That's incredible to think that you're afraid of heights. That that's sort of like you know you say that like the that's not the sport you would you would kind of think that that would be the case. I mean what what's the what's the tallest jump then in the world that you kind of go to? Still, and you're like oh, shit, like the, it's just it's get me down. Let me jump already.
1: Um, like. Chang was pretty high. Lake Placid's pretty high. Um, Oberstdorf, Germany, you know, but a lot of those places you walk upstairs on the inside, you, you know, you're taking an elevator up. Um, what really kind of was the hardest was the fact that, uh, Lake Placid, you had to walk up the in run on metal great stairs, and every step, unless you're looking straight up into the sky, you're looking straight down into the ground below. And as you go up, it gets further and further away. Mm. You're watching, you know, snow and ice fall from the stairs and it takes, you know, a couple seconds for it to hit the ground. You're like, Hmm, wow. <laughs> Hopefully these stairs are built well, uh, you know, wow. and then you kind of just get up there a little bit closer and Um, you know, it's, it's something that I've, I've always, you know, found very interesting. You know, if I'm on top of a building and I look straight down, yes, there's, I mean, there's not many people that get that gut wrenching feeling in their stomach, but, um, you know, if I'm in the center of the building and it's, you know, on the top of a skyscraper, it's not too bad. It's just that pure vertical, like, holy hell, I am so high up right now that you know causes a little bit of uh,
0: anxiety, I would say. You're not doing the glass sort of experience if you go to Chicago at like the Willis Tower or something like that. You're sticking clear of that.
1: <laughs> uh, I've, I've done that. Um, <laughs> trust me. Uh, so a couple of years ago, we uh, were in Austria and uh, we had this sweet little trip planned where we did. Do you know what Via Ferrata is or Kledersteg? I do not, know. So it's where there's a, a cable bolted onto the side of the mountain nice. and it's anchored in. And then you're wearing a harness with, um, kind of some carabiners on top of attached to rope. And so you anchor yourself in with these carabiners, you come to an anchor point, you take one off, put it on the other side of the anchor. You take the yep. other off, put it on the other side. Yep. Very popular yep. over there. They're all over. Well, we, We're going up to a hut, um, you know, a mountain, uh, cabin, and this was the route and I was sweating. (laughs) I was like, this fucking sucks. Um, (laughs) you know, 15, 20 minutes in, you trust your gear. You learn to say, Hey, I I can't turn back. I got to just keep going. And so you, you overcome it. Um, does that mean that next time I go on top of a tall mountain and look over the edge, I'm not gonna feel sick to my stomach? No, probably gonna still have it. But there's a process, and you know, a habit that you get into that allows you to accomplish, you know, a task or a fear. And uh, I think that's the unique part about the human body for sure. Hundred percent. It's kind of like you hear about certain people
0: who are say afraid of public speaking, yet their job. Is to speak in front of large crowds but they, they still say I've got a fear of it but it's kind of that I overcome and, and I also love hearing particularly say from Olympic athletes who talk about the nerves aspects that they get so nervous before a competition that they're, they're lined up on a starting line or they're about to perform whatever it is and they just they're, they're shitting themselves but somehow they've turned that into a fact of I actually use that to my benefit and that if they weren't nervous, they're more worried going into a competition rather than, okay, I'm nervous. They sort of almost get used to it and use it to their advantage.
1: Yeah, I, I would uh, I would agree 100% with that. I mean, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to work with a bunch of sports psychologists. Uh, you know, any Olympic athlete that doesn't work with one, I think is is pretty stupid. They provide such a good advantage, but, you know, I brought that up to him and he was like, why are you worried about that? That's just your body telling you you're getting ready to perform and you know you can do it so use that for confidence use that for performance and let it carry you and uh you know ever since i've realized that you know i've definitely benefited from it but uh you know it's it's part of the game it is
0: in terms of growing up sort of in the sport you mentioned playing other sports was the Olympics something that you always looked at as a, as a goal, uh, or is that something that sort of came to you more as you progressed further in Nordic combined?
1: A little bit of both. Um, but, you know, to be honest, it came pretty damn early. Uh, you know, I, I can remember dreaming of the Olympics as early as oh, 98, 96. Uh-huh. Um, one of my former coaches, Dave Jarrett, you know, That's, and this goes back to one of the first questions is how do I get started is the, our national team used to be based in steam. Um, and so you had the likes of, you know, Todd, uh, Dave Jarrett, all the big Olympic athletes for Nordic combined, uh, training in steamboat and, you know, DJ, um, Dave gave me a pair of goggles, you know, before the, the 98 olympics and you know that, that's something that just sticks with you as a young kid and, and you want to be just like him you want to be just like the the others and uh you know so right away pretty damn early it was like i want to go to the olympics
0: and in terms of that progression then obviously you ultimately make it to vancouver which we'll talk about in a sec but Sort of as you were progressing through the ranks, was there opportunity to to earlier? I mean, like was Turin something that was a possibility, or was the age kind of just something that as as a sixteen year old you're maybe not able to to go to to an Olympics at that age?
1: There's there's a uh, I mean I was not in the running for Turino by any means. Um, you know, a lot of it has to do with the status of the team. Uh, back in two thousand six, there were ten guys eight to 10 guys that were fighting for an Olympic spot on the national team. So the chances of a 16 year old making it to the national team and onto the Olympics is, is pretty slim. Um, but you know, one of my good friends, Andres Johnson, who's a former ski jumper, he did it. Um, so, you know, it is possible, but I never thought I had a chance at making the two 2016 and there was always a slim chance of making the 2010 team i never really thought that was even a possibility wow
0: so in terms of when you do and you realize holy shit this dreams come true holy shit i'm going to the olympics i mean do you remember that moment when when you were officially going
1: yeah um this one comes up a lot so we'll take a step back I got named to the national team in 2009. Um, So, God, a a long time ago. And when you get named to the national team, it means you're doing something right. The coaches have noticed you. You've done well in international competition. You're one of the best juniors um, in the nation. So, you know you're on the right progression. That doesn't mean once you get on the national team that you can stop it and you just go through the motions. You still have to put all the sacrifices, all the hard work, everything in to, you know, get to where you want to get to. Um, and so I knew the goals ahead of me where I wanted to go, but that first year I had no plans on making the Olympic team. I just wanted to do as well as I possibly could. And so I set a lot of kind of micro goals. I had my, my big goals, but then there was all the ones that kind of lead up to those big goals. And one of those was just to ski the whole winter in Europe. And, uh, obviously I failed that by going to Vancouver, but, uh, I had hit every single goal. And as I got closer and closer, I scored world cup points and then they took me to the next competition. It didn't set in until they told me that, Hey, you're on the Vancouver team. You're gonna fly back to the US with us for a training camp and then go to the Olympics. I was shocked. Wow. The hardest part was the fact that there were two guys for the last spot, myself and my brother. Wow. And so I remember sending a message to my other teammates. I was going from uh, Cheeuve, France to Hinner'sart in Germany for a competition. And I remember telling my teammates, whatever happens, I cannot room with Brian. You know, the older, any brother is going to be pissed when their brother makes a team and they don't. Uh, they ignored all those requests. And uh, of course, Brian found out in Germany that he wasn't going on to the, the Olympic team. And, you know, in Europe, uh, pretty much everywhere but the U.S., you know, you sleep in the same room on pretty much the same bed. Uh, and that was one of the most awkward nights I've ever had, knowing that he is extremely pissed and I'm above the moon, you know, just ecstatic that I'm going to the Olympics. That's incredible story. And I can imagine then that
0: phone call back home to the parents must be an awkward one. So, hey, mom, dad, I'm going to the Olympics. But uh, yeah, about... About Brian, he's kind of not so um happy for one commiserations for the other.
1: <laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, you know, obviously uh we we have a very unique family where both of us are were able to go at, at some point and have great success in the sport. Um and you know, the parents, my mom, you know, she paid so many bills to get us to where we are. My, you know, my dad, he was instrumental in, in getting us on skis. So, you know, we we had that support and that's what's amazing.
0: Just get back to Vancouver, just fast forwarding quickly then to Sochi when you are both on the team. I mean, does that make it a little bit more special knowing that you were in that moment where you had to kind of curtail emotions? But at this point, you can be a little bit more excitable because you're going to your second Olympics and, and now he's
1: going to his first so you can be there together. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I mean, the Olympics are huge, uh, but you know, in all honesty, you get that same sense of, uh, of kind of importance from world championships. And so we both made the 2011 world championship team. We both, uh, made the 2013 world championship team where we had success. So that accumulation to, to Sochi in 2014 was like, Cool. You're going to the Olympics, but it wasn't like I had to teach him anything, you know, he, he was already ready. So it was just, we were able to enjoy the moment and, you know, we went out there as a team and, and fought our hardest to, you know, try to come away with those, those, uh, elusive medals. But, you know, it's just, uh, it's to be able to go with your brother is, is fucking cool. I mean, it's, it's a dream come true.
0: Speaking of dreams come true, that that first Olympic appearance, you know, are you able to do you soak in sort of everything that is about an Olympics? You're soaking up village life, things like opening ceremony, kind of everything it means to be an Olympian? Or was that something that you kind of took more note of at your second or your third Olympics? No, I mean,
1: um, so the Vancouver team was uh, Billy DeMong, Johnny Splane, Todd Lodwick, Brett Camerota, and myself. Um, Brett Camarado was jumping amazing. He had essentially trained for that 5K event. I was struggling on jumping, but was skiing fast. You know, there was always an opportunity that I was going to compete, but in those first competitions, I knew I wasn't gonna ski. So I was actually the only one from my team that went to the opening ceremonies in Vancouver because of that first competition was so close after the opening ceremonies. So I took everything in, um, you know, I was there at the ceremonies for like seven, eight hours, got wow. back to the village and, in, in, uh, Whistler at, you know, two o'clock in the morning. Um, and you know, it's tough. It's, it's really tough on the, on the body to, you know, do that. But having that experience of what the Olympics is like, I think is unbelievable. And, and something that I'll cherish for forever, I still get the goosebumps knowing that, you know, in a hundred days from now, I might be walking through the stadium for my fourth Olympic opening ceremonies. And, yeah. you know, I can't, I can't get more excited about that than, than anything
0: else. Speaking of excited, I mean, obviously Vancouver was such a breakthrough for Nordic combined in the U S no medals ever in the history of the sport you come away with four what, what is it like being a part of that sort of whole environment around the team because i i can imagine that that just went absolutely gangbusters for the sport in the u.s once you guys returned
1: home yeah i mean it was it was insane um that was a process that was coming uh from a long time ago uh you know that's you got to you got to talk with Billy Demong or or Johnny about that whole process but things started to go in the right direction in 2003 Johnny Splane won first ever world championship medal for nordic combined um 2007 uh Billy Demong won a silver medal in Sapporo uh at world championships 2009 Todd Lodwick won uh two golds, um, and Billy DeMong won his first world championship gold. Uh, so that process was, was developing. Our team was getting better and better and better. Then you get the home Olympics, you know, it is Vancouver it is Canada, but as far as an Olympics go, you can't get any closer to home. It's not the road we had done. (laughs) Training camps, you know, throughout the years up there, as soon as the facilities were built. So we were comfortable. Um, same time zone for the most part, no huge, you know, changes like the last couple. And so all we had to do was go to pre- perform. And those guys were on it. Um, you know, it was the simplest thing for me to go to training every day knowing that we have one of the best teams in the world training on the same Hills with me every single day. And so it wasn't, you know, trying to prove myself. It was, I just got to do my damn training. I, you know, our, our training plans work, our, you know, our team is good. Just trust the process and it's going to come And Sure enough, it, it came for everybody. I mean, uh, Four medals, you know, World Cup podiums that year from a lot of guys, you know, that's, that's success. And, you know, we've, we've worked our asses off to get to that point for sure. In terms of yourself
0: at those games, obviously with the team silver, four people on that team, you're, you're that fifth. I mean, was there any chance that you were going to take that spot instead of Brett? And and if not, like, how is that mood? I mean, obviously you're happy for your teammates, but is there... Some part of you, which is kind of like, oh, like I could have been on that team. I could have come away with a medal.
1: Yeah, there was a um, couple times that year I had beat Brett, uh, but he was just so strong on jumping that I knew when it came to the team event that there was a very slim chance I was going to compete. But there was always an opportunity. Uh, the one thing with our sport and. I go back and forth on this, but the law of averages, um, you can't expect to come out there and have a ski jump. That's five times better than what you've been jumping at for, you know, most of the winter. Uh, but on the other end you can't go out on the cross country side and expect to race a minute faster. Um, the funny thing is ski jumping, you can have a ski jump that is five times better out of the blue and it can happen at any time. As long as you get those, those fundamentals down, you know, your positioning, your, your takeoff, your flight, your landing, you know, you can all of a sudden jump a minute closer to the front and, and not even realize it. So I was kind of trying to find a way to make those jumps happen, but it, you know, it was difficult. Uh, I won't lie. the 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 pressure of the Olympics definitely got to me a little bit. I was 19 years old, you know, so it was it was unique. But you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yes, I would have loved to have a a chance in that team event. But at the same time, you know, maybe if I was on that team, we wouldn't have won a Olympic medal. Um, but you know, the the fact that I made it was cool. Um, but that's never been my goal is just to make the Olympics. Is to come away with a medal. Just
0: in terms of what Vancouver did for the sport, we had Nicholas Machinsky on recently, and he mentioned that part of what sort of got him into it was getting to meet the medalists, touch the medals, like that really inspired him. I mean, just what did it do for the sport? Was there growth straight away more attention i mean i've seen photos of like the guys meeting obama and like you know joe Biden. like i mean clearly you're getting sort of some of this you know media attention you're getting to meet the president like things like that i mean i was this the biggest thing to ever happen to nordic combined in the u.s
1: yeah it was a, a culmination of a lot of events and you know the fact that we finally won a medal um we as in our our team meant that we're a big part of the history of the sport And, you know, when, when you're a young kid and you want to win an Olympic medal, seeing the athletes that have, especially when you live, breathe, nor it combined, you, you get so inspired and, you know, I remember I've got photos with my coaches when they were athletes, you know, even my older, they go into their Olympics, you see these guys as idols and uh you want to you know meet them you want to you know be like them and, and i can't say that I, not a single one of my older teammates that have been with me in, in the years past i didn't envy in, in some fashion
0: Wow, wow which is just it's fascinating So i remember the, the first athlete we ever had on the show nathaniel ma from nordic combined he was sort of talking about the that weird swings and roundabouts that an Olympics can have for a sport which maybe doesn't get the attention some of the other ones do. The fact that in order to get the funding, you need to have success, but in order to have success, you need to have the funding. And often a lot of that comes from, you know, medals at at, at World Championships and and Olympics and things like that. So, I mean, does that then help the sport sort of in the preceding years as well just in terms of that attention brings more funding? You're able to attract more sort of younger athletes into the sport and kind of keep that momentum going that Vancouver would have brought.
1: Yeah, I mean it's uh when you talk about the Olympics and success at the Olympics, the the impacts that it has on the development of athletes and future generations is huge. Um that's one aspect. The second aspect is obviously the funding. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, here in the US, I mean, uh, I'm gonna say mini, Nathaniel Ma is a little bit different because they've already kind of been removed from the huge funding rounds. But the way our structure works is you have U.S. Olympic Committee. There are Olympic, Olympic governing body. Then below that is the national governing body, which is U.S. ski and snowboarding. And the Olympic, the USOC, um, now it's the US OPC, the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. They give money to the NGB to support those national teams that are under that, that national governing body. So you have skiing and you have snowboarding. Um, They fund those teams. So then the national team has money allocated for obviously world cup, the second level, which is continental cup. And then, you know, they also have money for development. And so bringing juniors onto camps, um, you know, I remember going on one of my first, Camps with the national team in 2007 to Norway, and that was funded by the U S ski team. So that it plays a huge point in, in any athlete's career, because the better that you're doing on the national team and, and then on the Olympic stage and world championships means there's going to be more funding coming into the sport. And, you know, I'll, I'll be brutally honest. It's, it's, uh, kind of a shitty process and we're working hard to fix that because you need those funds to develop athletes. Yes. Every athlete has to do their training, but there's certain resources that come from those funding that are huge, you know, pivotal parts of an athlete's journey, you know, the equipment, um, the travel that help an athlete succeed. And so, you know, the more success we can have on the Olympic and world championship level, the more promise there is for future generations
0: down the road. And on that too, you mentioned sort of that journey to Vancouver kind of began back in 2003. I mean, that's obviously a year removed from Salt Lake. Now, Salt Lake's obviously Mm -hmm. potentially a chance to host in 2030 or or 2034. How much is it a boost then? For winter programs in the country when all of a sudden you're hosting an Olympics? Because we we saw that in Australia in the lead-up to Sydney that a lot of funding goes into our athletes. We're going to see it again in the lead-up to Brisbane in 2032 that people are going to inject this money so we've got a good home Olympics. Is that... Would be a similar boost that if Salt Lake does get it in 2030, for example, that all of a sudden, hey, we've found some
1: extra money, here you go. Yeah, no, I mean, it's... uh, it, It's amazing what the Olympics does. You, you know, I think the Olympic Committee has gotten a lot of flack over the years of how expensive the Olympics have gotten. But take for instance Salt Lake 2002, Every single venue is in operation. Speed skating oval is in operation, even the hockey rinks in operation, the ski jumps, daily operations, uh bobsled daily, um, the you know, the freestyle. So it it created a legacy and uh, honestly, without the support that they've received from the Olympics, Park City wouldn't be the town that it is. Um, even the possible Olympics that were going to happen in Denver, you know, affected Steamboat in a positive way for the development of of the programs there. So you know, we have the Park City Ski and Snowboard Foundation here in Park City that has thrived off of the the funds from the Olympics that were directly involved with ski jumping, nordic combined, and cross country, that have given a legacy to younger athletes two generations after the Olympics. Um, hell, I mean Nicholas Malasinski was barely even born. I don't know, actually, yeah. yeah, barely even born in 2002. And yeah. I remember going to those Olympics, watching the nordic combined, watching the ski jumping. I've got a bib from that Olympics. I've got a wow. bib from the test event for that at Olympics. I mean, it's it's a, a legacy that it gets enshrined and passed on to generations and generations. And even weird things, like I would probably admit that I may
0: have never heard of Salt Lake City if it wasn't for the Olympics. And I on one of my trips to the States, I went to Salt Lake City Love the city and i was with a friend and i'm basically like take me to where all the olympics were like i want to see everything so you know ricicle stadium like take me out to the the ski i I went and watched a jazz game and was more excited for the fact that's where stephen bradbury won australia's first olympic gold medal rather than watching the basketball like i was geeking out on things like that and i remember staying with somebody and he had worked in some capacity at the aerial skiing and he had this photo album and he was just showing me like the memories and everything along those lines that it was still living with sort of people at that point, 15 or so years afterwards. Like it's that legacy that I love hearing from that. And even even, like you mentioned, like Lake Placid is obviously still a very big training place for a lot of winter sports in the US, right? So, and that's what, 40 years removed. So it obviously you know, the U S is very good at maintaining the legacies of these Olympic cities and venues to kind of help moving forward with the athletes from the sports.
1: Well, and, and to that point, I mean, Billy DeMong born 1980, um, a month after the Olympics. Yep. You know, he's an Olympic champion in the sport of nord combined grew up 20 minutes away from those Hills. So it's, it's incredible what it does And to see an Olympics be as effective as, as salt Lake was, you know, is, is a good model for future Olympics to try to, you know, replicate, how do we keep this going? Um, you know, since Sochi I haven't been back to those venues and there's been very little competition held at those venues. Um, so the fact that we've had a yearly competition in park city, whether it's, uh, you know, second level or not is is impressive and they have a thriving club here um they have a thriving club in steamboat and they've got a growing club in lake placid so you know we have those olympic hubs that produce athletes and we're able to kind of keep that going as as we go forward mentioned before
0: world championships 2013 the success bronze medal you get at the, the world champs, particularly, as you said, with, with your brother as well. Does that rate as the highlight of, of your career coming away with a, a world championship bronze medal? Yeah, so far.
1: Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I look back on that day, that that year was special. I got my first world cup podium in Seifeld, Austria. We had our first world cup team podium in Schoenach, Germany. And then our first world championship team podium in Fiemme, Italy. Um, I was skiing really well that year. And so I remember getting my podium a couple of weeks before world championships started saying, and one of the, the, um, media channels was like, does this make you an underdog for world championships? I said, this is my first podium, but we have a team that is capable of producing good results. And, and if anything, we've shown it over the years that we show up to these events ready. And so to be able to come away with a medal was a dream come true. Um, and to be able to do it with my brother was you know, a bigger dream. Um, but to do it the way that we did it is uh even better give us give us a taste for those who maybe aren't familiar with kind of how it happened how did it all play play about um so a friend of ours started a temporary tattoo company called stash tats and uh it's a team event team events are for your country they're a huge you know team bonding experience so we showed up our entire team, staff, wax techs, coaches, you know, personnel and athletes all wearing these American flag, temporary tattoos. (laughs) What are you going to say to a person that shows up to one of the biggest competitions of the year with a temporary tattoo all over their face? (laughs) It's going to, it's going to distract you. Yeah. And, you know, we showed up. And it threw a lot of people off. Wow. It was, everyone's like, oh my God, those are so cool. I can't, I can't stop looking at it. <laughs> we wore them, we wore the hell out of those all day long the jumping around, the skiing around, and on the podium. Wow.
0: Are you allowed to do that at the Olympics? Because I know the Olympics are very restricted with certain things that you can and cannot show. So could you could you show up to, to Beijing and go, well, that, that worked for us like a decade ago. Come on, time to bring back the tats.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, uh, yeah, you could do it at the Olympics. I, I know people have done face paint and stuff like that, so I imagine that would slide. Um, you know, I'm kind of the opinion that that was that team's thing, you know, that – that's something that was special with the the guys that were in um, Val Lafayette in 2013. And, you know, to, you know, have another team try to replicate that would be cool. Um, but I don't think it would be as, as special as what we
0: did it as. Which is, it's just interesting, that psychological element, because going back to your point where you've got somebody interviewing you going like, you feel this makes you underdogs. Like, I can imagine things like that help because you've got that confidence. You've got that – you're saying, like, I, I want to go to an Olympics, but I want to win a medal. Like, it, it's that confidence and, and self assurance that you've got for yourself. I mean, is this a case that people in the sport are too busy looking at Germany and Austria and Norway that they just never really kind of look at Team USA as somebody who can do this? And that, and that helps because it's sort of like, well, we're as good as these guys and we, we can do this, so let's just show it what US Nordic is capable of in these events.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, that's been a, a struggle that I've been guilty of. Everyone's been guilty of, you know, those those top teams, Norway, Austria, Germany, um, they have, have the money that we don't have. Hell, I mean, Austria at uh, one point in my career had as much money dedicated towards just equipment as we did for our entire organization. Wow. So when you when you're looking at it, it's a little bit of a David Goliath kind of mentality. But you're like, holy shit, these guys are good. They show up in Audi's, they, you know, have new suits every weekend, you know, they have 15 staff members. It's, you know, a rolling circus in some sense. But the thing is, is you trying to emulate them it's not going to work. Yes. You can look at a video of Yaro Magnus Reber, who's the best ski jumper on our circuit and find those, those key points in his ski jump that you're like, okay, that's what he does really well and try to bring that into your fold and try to really, you know, make it work for you. But if I'm trying to ski like some other person, it's not going to work. You're your best athlete. You know what works best for you. And so it's incredibly important that you trust your process of what you're doing by your team for success. That reminds me of, and this is otherwise such an... you're,
0: you're down a rabbit hole. It, it's such an Australian thing that I'm going to say here from a country that's not really a winter sports nation, but that reminds me of that moment in cool runnings when they're they're so busy copying the Swiss style and they've got that speech. Mm It's like, we shouldn't be going out there copying anybody's style. We've got our own style. And then they bring the Jamaican flair to it. Like that That legitimately kind of now makes that sense now,
1: right? (laughs) It's it's exactly like that. I mean, um, hell, I can't, you know, we've had European coaches. We've had Norwegian coaches, German, Austrian. And the most success that we've ever had it was with Americans. There you go. That's the style. Um, we, you know, we live in in the U S and so trying to go into a, a different culture and kind of naturalize with us or ourselves with, you know, to say that the country of Slovenia or Austria, you know, is going to throw things off. Um, do I mean that, during the time of covid to spend the entire year in austria wasn't a good idea no it was a fantastic idea and i had a blast but you know you have to do things that work for you and and the way your team operates and what we've done in the us has shown great success so why change it it's not broken yes we've struggled but you know in reality it's just we need to to tweak a few things and it's it's going to be right back on. And and these last two years have gotten so much better as a team with this structure that we have that we can't change it. We got to keep going and, and, and trusting this process. I definitely want to touch on that in the lead up to sort of where we're tracking
0: for Beijing, but just quickly, Sochi, Pyeongchang, you know, how do you reflect sort of back on those? I mean, do you kind of look at them differently? Like was 2014, going into it as a world championship bronze medalist a, a different mood to say going into pyeongchang when it was a little bit farther removed i mean kind of how do you reflect on your your subsequent two olympic appearances
1: change the what i said i just said we we changed we got rid of a jump coach that had brought tons of success going into 2014 hired a a german and it ruined everything um sochi was a, a disaster the whole year was a disaster for me um so i was i was really disappointed going into the following years i kind of felt like i was in um to say it frankly a shithole. uh i was struggling with competition on the jumping side wasn't racing as well as i i wanted to i did somehow manage to get uh, some really good results on World Cup, uh, a third place in 2015 in Sapporo. So, you know, it, it's it's very tough. Uh, personally, I went through a lot. My brother and I had a pretty rough time, um, you know, going into 2018. Um, I knew I was going to lose my father. I was I was distracted. I had a a girlfriend that I thought I was going to marry. You know, I was getting pulled in different directions. Um did I think I was giving everything to the sport? Absolutely. Was I? Probably not. Um but in in reality, I was pissed off. Um you know, we we had such high expectations going into 2016, 2017, 2018 and we fell short of pretty much all of them. Um, and as a a veteran athlete, looking back on those, it pisses me off because we could have been much, much better. We had a young hungry team that was talented and we, we failed to perform like we, we could have that being said, I mean, we, well, in 2014, after the Olympics, we lost all of our funding from us ski and snowboarding. And so. We went essentially from an 800,000 to a million dollar budget to $40,000 to support Brian and I, and you can't do anything with that. Hmm. So we became part-time fundraisers, part-time athletes. Um, You know, I had to find a job. It it was brutal. And even though I was fully supported and I was on the A-team back then, you know, it, it was clear something wasn't right. And I honestly, I think we worked 10 times harder than any other country out there for results that to me were nothing close to what I was capable of. And, and that's, that's brutal to think about, you know, the success that we've had to where we were and what we've had to build to have that success, um, is, is, is tough. It's insane to think that, that going back to Vancouver
0: and how groundbreaking that was that four years, five years later that you are kind of at those, those depths. I mean, as an athlete, you know, talking through all the personal struggles and everything, I mean, how do you maintain that passion to want to keep going in the sport?
1: Because it's not, I mean, when you're a, a, a top level athlete and that doubt creeps into your mind, you, you start to think about the past and when, when that started to set into me, I asked myself, why am I still doing this sport? You know, what, what have you done with your life? And what, you know, what do you enjoy about it? And for me, it's going back as far as being six, seven years old and my mom having to come down to Halison and, and get out of her car, or walk around the resort, trying to find me because I was having so much fun, you know, cross-country skiing on and Hill, freezing my ass off on a daily basis to her, you know, having to pull me by my ear essentially to get me into the car so she can take me home to feed me dinner. Um, that's what keeps me in the sport. And that's, what's keeping me in the sport up until this point is I fucking love Nordic combined. And it's, it's a passion of mine. I've got to travel the world pretty much for free for the last, you know, 15 years. And, you can't replace that. Yes. Do I wish I would have gone to college and gotten a college degree at a younger age and gone to high school parties? Yeah, it would have been fun, but it's not fulfilling. What I, what I've been able to do in my sport is extremely fulfilling, extremely gratifying. And I wouldn't replace a single minute of those struggles, those struggles for anything else. It's, it's, absolutely amazing the life that i've lived and you know i want to be able to take what i've done pass that on to future generations so they have that same opportunity to dream of winning an olympic medal
0: i've just found then too to add to what you're just saying a great merchandising opportunity for you taylor i want to see the t-shirts that say i fucking love nordic combined there's your inlet into uh, some Nordic combined merchandise to sell people to the spot because they would sell well. I'd wear one of those t-shirts
1: every single day. Yeah, no, I'm I'll, gonna I'll get right on that because I think it's <laughs> it's so true. We have, let me see, hold on one sec. All right, oh, we sure. like props on this show. I'm excited. So this came out in 2013.
0: Nice. Yep.
1: Okay. And so uh, our
0: audio listeners, it's a, it's a bald eagle. It says the words America on it right now. It's a yeah. standardized US American shirt. You on the side. But on, on the back, side. beautiful. you can barely see it now. Okay. Let me get it in there. The only country that could birth a team this
1: tough. Ah, oh, yes. Awesome. Love it. Well, so this shirt's probably, you know, we're, we're going on 10 years old now. Somehow it survived the thousands of washes that I've had on it, <laughs> but it, it's true. It's, it's really, really true in the fact that the U S Nordic combined is a fucking tough team and puts their heart and soul into the sport because the chances of us getting rich from Nordic combined are practically zero. Can we sustain a healthy live our living situation. Yes, but we're not going to be the Michael Phelps that makes millions of dollars because the sport's just not there yet in this country. It comes like- every four years where it gets popular if you have those results, but we do this sport because of the passion, the joy, the the fun that we have. And, and I've gotten into it with teammates. They're like, oh so success isn't about victories success is fucking having a good time and loving what you're doing feeling yeah. accomplished and it, 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 you know for me it's it's all about that
0: it, it comes to that level where you're saying about it comes around every four years i mean i, I could imagine that bill's an olympic champion but i i don't imagine he walks down the street in, you know, a big city in the U S and is getting recognized, you know, like, Oh my God, you're, you're Olympic champion, Bill Demong. Like it's maybe in certain parts of the country, but I mean, that's kind of that level, I guess that sport has that recognition. Like he, he's not Michael, he's not Lindsey Vonn. Like he's not getting that recognition that some athletes would.
1: No. And, and, you know, honestly, I think we like that. Hmm. You know, the fact that we can live lives and we're not, in the spotlight, I mean, there was that documentary, The Weight of Gold, with Michael Phelps and Apollo Anton Ono and and all those Olympic champions. The pressure that's put on you when you're a high-level athlete in the spotlight of the American Olympics is huge. We've we've just seen it with Simone Biles. I mean, yeah. It's in in insane to think, you know, that can happen. Whereas, you know, for us, we're able to go out and train on a daily basis and people know who we are, but they're not, you know, rushing us for autographs or not trying to take our photos. You know, we can live a, a life that is is peaceful. I love it. You know, I mean, I don't think half my neighbors know that I'm an Olympic athlete. You know, I've gotten to know a lot of my neighbors that, you know, they ask, Oh, what do you do? I'm on the national team for skiing. Oh, have you been to the Olympics? Yeah. (laughs) But that's the fault of the U S is, you know, I could talk for hours about this, but people think, Oh, you're an Olympian. You're a millionaire. Hell, I don't think I've made more than a base salary my entire career. The most I ever made was like thirty thousand dollars in a year on prize money and sponsorships, oh. and working a a job where you know some of those Olympians they come home with, God knows how much money, yeah. and yet you know I would say our life and what we've done is is amazing. Hundred percent. It's, it's I mean that's that's one of the the best things
0: I I always like talking about in the show is, is with our guests it's it is that level of you're an Olympian, you're rich, you know, like straight away you've kind of, you equate it to that. You're, you're playing like, you know, in the NBA or something like that where you're on these big, big salaries. But as we're obviously talking about, like, a lot of the time, you're just you're fundraising to a point. You're working jobs still, and like it's it's sort of it's weird for some people to fathom that in this big day and age of professional sports, where rarely do you see athletes working jobs as well as competing. That there are still people out there who are having to do that for the love of their sport.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I started having a, a job um, the very first year that I moved to Park City, so I could support rent. Um, buy groceries, pay for gas. I've had a job ever since I was 12 years old, in some sense, mowing lawns, working in restaurants, working at a, a sports store and steamboat, you know, I've had to make ends meet because my family wasn't loaded. My mom paid for my brother and I to go through the winter sports club, which can be $30,000 a year at least. So you know, we, a lot of us grow up with the sense that, Hey, you know, if I'm going to make it, we've got to bust our ass to financially afford, even though we're a cheap sport compared to Alpine, but in the same sense, we're going to learn to appreciate the work that we put in to be able to, you know, when we have those results to enjoy them and, and, you know, say, hey, I've done something incredibly special. I'm going to cherish this moment for a long time. Speaking of cherishing that moment, obviously
0: we're very close to Beijing. Time of recording this, as we said, 100 days out. How how are you tracking right now? Kind of what's the process between now and Beijing to get you to a fourth Olympics? and, And how are you feeling ahead of that possibility? So
1: I want to take another step back, you know, we talked about the process going into Pyeongchang. Um, Those years sucked. They were great in one sense. I had a a beautiful girlfriend that I I loved, Um, but they were terrible as my father was dying. My stepfather got into a, a bike crash, was almost killed and nearly paralyzed. And then shortly after that, that girl, you know, stepped out of my life. So, I was in turmoil. Well, um So, you know, I looked at what I was doing and said I need to make a change and I got a job. I was a sports performance trainer at um my current job at Athletic Republic. Um we train youth athletes and I looked at what I was doing in the sport and said, I need to have fun. I need to enjoy what I'm doing. The results will come, but you need to find that enjoyment first. And I started to find that, you know, I lost my father in in September of 2018. And I was able to, you know, ski that year in, in memory of him, have fun doing it. Um, so that would have been the winter of 2018, 2019. And then I was going to retire and I sat down and was like, I'm having way too much fun. I got to keep doing this. And four years down the road, I'm still here. And, And, you know, I've, I've made some pretty big changes in the last couple of years. Um, you know, especially as this pandemic hit. Um, my role as a trainer changed into, uh, marketing and and sales with the same company. So I work 40 hours a week. I have, you know, a career that's starting to actually go in the direction that I I really want it to. And I'm going through the right motions and, and trusting this plan, trusting what my coaches have to say and taking each day by day and building that into each week. And, you know, we're counting backwards from the Olympics to where we are now. And I would say we're, we're in the right direction. I mean, this team that we have now is so much better than it was two, three years ago. Um, You know, we've got Ben Loomis and Jasper good who are not only, you know, some of the older athletes on the team uh, you know, they're still young compared to me, but, They're the part of the National Guard. They took kind of a a jump to find that that freedom and that support to be able to do this. And they're having huge success now in the in in the training. And they're actually making these gains that, you know, back in 2010 when we got on the team were almost automatic. And we've had to work our asses off to get, get to them. But you know, if I look at any team okay, we're not having those World Cup wins and podiums like we used to. But the progress that we're having is some of the best I've seen in a long time. Yes, there's athletes that make insane strides year after year, but not a single one of those teams went from a million dollars plus in a budget to, you know, $40,000. So I think uh, you're going to see some good success from USA Nordic this winter. Um, and you're going to see quite a bit of, of, you know, fun had by our team. You know, we have such a good camaraderie with our, our teammates and our organization that it's hard to beat. So, so we're, we've got a sniff at looking at you guys to, to add
0: to those four medals from Vancouver. Is that, is that a realistic possibility that you can look at thinking that you could podium in Beijing?
1: I think it's very possible. Um, um, I think it's, is it an automatic by any means? No, but looking at myself, for instance, one of the strongest skiers on the, on the circuit, if I have a good jump, I'm in that fight. Um, yes, there's a lot of things that need to happen. You know, I need to fix some, you know, the, the weight needs to be lighter. The, the in-run needs to be better. My power on the ski jump needs to be a little bit better. Those have gotten better through the year. Um, you know, I just got done with the training camp the last couple of weeks where it was some of the best jumps I've had in six years. So is it a likelihood that's going to happen? No, but is there a, a good chance that, you know, we could come away with some pretty damn good results at the Olympics? Absolutely. And you have to have that belief in order to even come close. And I think our team has it. Anything's, anything is possible at the Olympics. hundred
0: percent. Absolutely. That's why we love them. That's why we love, we've got the show talking about them, right? We, we like to just discuss that. Tyler, we like to wrap up with a set of questions, sort of fun, get to know yourself questions. Before I get to that, you and I were having a bit of a discussion off air in regards to the sport in my country of Australia, how Nadal competed in 1960, I only ever Nordic combined athlete. But you mentioned something to me, which got me intrigued. You mentioned something about looking at trying to start something in Australia. You've looked at that, like, give me an idea of what, what you were looking at and, and what can be done in a country like Australia, which obviously we don't have the ski jumping facilities, things like that, that can maybe do to entice people to get into the sport of Nordic combined.
1: Well, I mean, we, so we had uh, Greg Poyer was one of my coaches. Um, he got approached about starting it. Uh, fall is it Falls Creek? Yep. Falls Creek. Yep. So um, he went down there during your winter and built a little ski jump out of the snow and got kids to try it. And so that's when Ben Sim came along and, you know, an Olympic cross country athlete, uh, and said, Hey, let's give this a shot. And so we, you know, we took him in and he trained daily with us here in park city. We taught him how to ski jump. We got him on up to the K 90 and, you know, if he was going to make the Olympics, he was going to have to make some big steps, but you know, we, we looked at this as an opportunity to kind of develop a sport in, in the country and help grow the sport. Um, you know, we, we are a very small sport in order for it to grow and become a mainstay sport. More countries need to be doing it. You know, we're very localized because, you know, you have, 20 countries that do it. Whereas, you know, hundreds of countries do cycling, you know, they play soccer, um, tennis, every, everything. So we, we looked at this as an opportunity to try to make a, a, a claim to the world as, Hey, let's help develop the sport. And, and, and so other kids can have the same joy and experience that, that we've had. And I, you know, I think it's only for the good to to share this with the world because yes, it's a hard sport, but it's a, it's a damn cool sport that allows you to do a lot of cool things and makes you, you know, one of the best athletes in the world. I'm going to say, you know, firsthand that I think Nordic combined athletes are some of the most skilled athletes out of anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you look at a lot of endurance athletes, they can't jump. Yeah. You know, you look at, uh, you know, other sports they're limited to the skills that are involved in their sport. You know, everybody on our team is good at many, many sports, whether it's cycling or tennis or golf or, you know whatever you name they find this this skill because we're able to do so much and we're not so singularly focused that we're able to actually you know build it's just fascinating
0: as i said at the beginning like i love these sports that combine sports that you don't necessarily equate i mean it's you know the decathlon the heptathlon are great but i mean they're all track and field events right whereas you know it's kind of a a little bit different is, is there such an event? Cause I, I used to always think growing up the Nordic Combine was actually ski jumping and biathlon so that you kind of almost mm-hmm. had
1: three sports.
0: Is there a Nordic Combine that adds the shooting element in from biathlon as well? Is that a thing?
1: No, that's not a thing. Not that's uh that's uh i mean, everyone thinks Nordic Combine is ski jumping and, and, or is biathlon skiing and shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's no, uh, You know, triple Nordic combined event. I think it would be cool. Um, Jump, then race after five targets. I think that would be thrilling. But that's never, never. I don't know if I've ever heard that. Um, So you might be onto
0: (laughs) something there. (laughs) Maybe. Well, we 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 sell on this show that you, you know to streamline Nordic combined. Let's have you guys ski. And then instead of, like, stopping and, oh, we'll do the ski jump later, like, do it all in once. Like, you, you go for your 10K, then as you get to the finish line, you've got to quickly strap on the ski jump, yeah. go down uh, into the stadium. I don't think stadium. you'd fly very far. I don't think you'd fly very far with cross country skis on.
1: <laughs> you've got your I ski think, jumping uh, skis
0: ready to go, though. <laughs>
1: And then I think if you tried to do the cross country on uh jumping equipment, you'd look more like a, a person that puts their, uh, their, um, what are they called? Your flippers, um, <laughs> from like snorkeling and you're trying to walk out onto the, out into the water with them on, you know, it doesn't work. So it doesn't quite I think work. the way our sport is right now is, is the way it should be. And, uh, um, but I'm, I'm all for getting more people into the sport. Hundred percent. And and don't give up on Australia. Can I just say that? Like
0: it's um I mean, we're we the way winter sports has grown in this country. I mean, thirty years ago we'd never won a medal and it was still just such I mean, barely any coverage on T V. Now we go into every winter games with the expectations that we're gonna win medals and honestly our media rips into our athletes if we only win a bronze and a silver. It's like, well come on, like that's an amazing achievement for Australia at a winter games. This is not to be frowned upon. So uh the growth of Nordic combined can happen in this country. So I think stick
1: to it. Yeah, I mean, I think we should, uh, you know, I don't know what's been done in the last couple of years, but I think it's worth kind of re-igniti- like reigniting that, that fuel um, because I think there's opportunities there. 100%,
0: 100%. As I said, Taylor, we like to close off with some fun, get to know you questions. As always, these are based on a questionnaire that Team Canada gave their athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang. Just some randomness to get to know you. And I'm going to start off by asking you what your favourite ever Olympic moment is. Ooh,
1: um, probably my first, uh, I would say the fact that I, in Vancouver, I competed in ski jumping and Nordic combined. I think that's uh pretty cool. Um so you did both. You actually were I in ski both. jumping as well. Wow. Yeah. Is that common? Do so a, a lot of Nordic combined athletes do that? No, um, it doesn't happen very often. And it, I don't think it'll happen very or very much more, but uh, I think um, that's up there as well as the fact that both Billy DeMong and Todd Lodwick carried the USA flag into the stadiums in both the closing and the opening ceremonies, two Olympics in a row.
0: Fantastic! That that's good exposure right there to kind of have that kind of uh. Going with that. Fantastic. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Fly. Fly.
1: That'd help. We're Fly. discovering
0: that a lot with ski jumpers and like it would help you a lot kind of in that, you know, the ski jumping discipline, right?
1: <laughs> Fly or um,
0: I'm going to say heel. Heel. Yes. That would be very handy. You know, those injuries. Yes, I think there's a lot of that in the world right now, and I think that would be pretty damn cool. Perfect. I like that. You might be the first person to ever answer that. That, That's a standard one that I think should be answered more. Uh, Your favorite sports movie is?
1: Um, Cool Runnings is up there, but I'm going to say favorite TV show right now, um, sports TV show would be Ted Lasso. Yes,
0: I, I, like, I, am ashamed to admit I haven't quite watched yet, but I'm dying to watch it because I just hear nothing but good
1: things about it. Oh, it's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, I mean, talk about uh, a good actor and a bunch of good actors, and then you know, one of those those scenarios where it's like, what the hell is going on, and it produces <laughs> some great content. Is it a weird aspect
0: too, where? it can grow the sport of soccer in the U S like in a weird way, even though it's obviously done for entertainment.
1: I think it will. I mean, I think there, you know, you, you go back to say uh, there's no such bad thing as publicity. I think Mm -hmm. you you see right away that I think this is going to help grow soccer in the U S but also around the world, which it's, I mean, it's a legitimate thing
0: when it comes to say the sport of, ice hockey in Australia, I got into the sport because of the Mighty Ducks movies and our only Australian NHL player, he got into it as well because he loved the Mighty Ducks movies. I want to try this sport. So it is, it kind of yep. is that flow on effect that it kind of, I'm sure. And we talked a bit on this with our ski jumpers that Eddie the Eagle, you know, it's, it's fictionalized version of real events, but like at the same time, it can help people get exposed to a sport, which they might not be familiar with.
1: Absolutely. I would agree 100%.
0: Is there a Naughty Combined movie like, or, or a documentary or something like that?
1: No, not really. Um, yeah, no, not that I know of. I mean, there's been some documentaries done on, on Nordic Combined because it's it's cool. Um, but, uh, you know, sadly, I can't name those. Um, it, and I'm not it, really it sure about happen. those. I think we, we keep mentioning when it
0: comes to ski jumping that, in the James Bond movie, If Your Eyes Only, he ski jumps, but also there's, that involves a ski chase. So technically, you could say James Bond did Nordic Combined in that
1: movie. You could. You yeah. could. So, I mean, ESPN we'll needs to open up with uh, the agony of defeat with the ski yep. jumper crashing in the inrun. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's, I mean, there's not much on Nordic Combined. We'll make it happen. Once,
0: once our Australian program gets up and running and there'll be the movie version, you know, on like the, the adversity that the Australians had to overcome to get into Nordic combined. And there was yep. Taylor Fletcher helping them along the way. You know, you'll be played <laughs> by Hugh Jackman probably or something like that. Probably. You know, like just hey, goes I'm into it, it that way. <laughs> get some royalties from that. Hopefully your favorite pump up song is.
1: um. <sighs> Enter Sandman by Metallica. Um right, so. I've always loved Metallica. I think that's a good one. Um but really any song I mean I listen to so much different types of music. Um I have a song right now that I've been listening to um by this Italian composer Ludovico Unati called Experience and the amount of stuff that I get done while listening to that song is insane. So, um, really what's in the moment for me is, is the best pump up song. Um, yeah, there are certain ones out there that, you know, really resonate with me, but I would say, you know, I'm pretty universal. I can
0: listen to anything. Great, great. I just, I just want to listen to Metallica now. It's been a while since I've listened to Enter Sandman. So, yeah, great, great song. You kind of just answered this question. Uh, the most recent TV show that
1: you binge watched is Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. There you go. One week. Uh, one week. You got everything done.
0: Your least favorite food. I always like this. Rather than your favorite food, your least favorite food. Shrimp. Shrimp. Ah, right. Okay. I hate it so much that I've. Developed an uh, allergy to it. Wow. Okay, nice. So you, you're not Australia, shrimp on the barbie, just not not into that? Nope.
1: No, no, I, I that? will not touch shrimp. My teammates give me crap for it, and <laughs> uh, I I will not touch it. I guess that's the, the one benefit of being in, in, in Utah, right, and being from
0: Colorado, that you're not going to bump into many, uh, you know, shrimp places because it's got to come a little bit far to get to you, right? <laughs> Correct. Yes. Uh, if you weren't an athlete what would you be? Uh,
1: probably not here. Um, <laughs> that's a hard one because uh, athletics is all I've ever known. And, and, you know, it's been my entire life, but uh, if I wasn't an athlete, I would be a very brilliant, scholar you know goes through school you know does really well goes to college does really well i think that's you know something that you need to strive for perfect i like that answer your favorite
0: vacation spot
1: is um i went to costa rica a while ago as well as hawaii um i'm gonna say those two nice Mm -hmm. The place that I've wanted to go for a long time, um, would be either Thailand or Japan for Alpine skiing in February.
0: Perfect. There you go. Well, I mean, Beijing, you're kind of close, so I don't know how the competition schedules work either side. So if you you get a chance, it's just, it's just there. Yeah. You can kind of make a little trip over there. Um, people, what's a word that people usually describe you as?
1: competitive, 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 but also extremely nice. Um, you know, I, I, I challenged every aspect of my life to be better. Um, and I think that rubs off onto people in both good ways and bad ways. Um, I'm also the type of person that will try to help you in any way possible. Um, And I think that can go both ways. People get annoyed of it. People love it and, and, you know, are thankful for it, but uh, you know, overall I'd say easy going as well, because, you know, I'm able able to see everything from many viewpoints, which I
0: think is important. Well, back on that notion of saying you wouldn't fit well in Australia with the shrimp on the barbie, the easy going thing, you would fit very well in Australia. So that, that kind of, balances. Yeah. I'll
1: I'll blend in. I don't have very much of an Australian accent. If I do try (laughs) to talk an Australian accent, it's probably British. Yeah. (laughs) So I mean, I'll stick out, but
0: uh, I think I could have fun there. The the saying is always, if you say the words um, rise up lights, it sounds like you're saying razor blades in an Australian accent. So uh, if you ever want to just purely go for that Australian accent, rise up lights, you're saying razor blades in an Australian accent. So Use that at your next okay. party, Taylor. Good enough. Uh, final one for okay. you today. What is your biggest guilty pleasure?
1: Uh, hamburgers and, and uh, I would say gummy candies. Ooh, nice. Good one. I like that. Going
0: to Europe, you'd get the good gummy candies, right? Like that's where you want to go to Germany and get the proper ones and, and places like that.
1: Yeah. Like- No, uh, uh, once I pick up a bag, I can't put it down. Um, (laughs) But actually, I'm going to delete both of those and I'm going to say sleep. Ah, Yes, everyone needs it, right? We all need... uh... Everyone needs it, but uh, I get more sleep than most people, I think. I can sleep anywhere, anytime, I think. <laughs> oh, that, that would be, I, I, I'm jealous. Very, very jealous. Taylor, before we let you go,
0: if people want to follow your journey between now and, and, and Beijing and kind of see what you're up to,
1: social media, anywhere that people can sort of check you out. Yeah, I'm on pretty much every platform. Uh, you know, Instagram at TFletcherNordic. Same on Instagram, uh, on Twitter, Um, I've got a Facebook athlete page that's, uh, T Fletch 13. Um, and then that's about it. I mean, uh, you know, give me a follow. Would love to interact with anyone. Um, you know, it's, it's something that I've loved doing and, and sharing my story. So hit me up. Um, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, so would love to chat.
0: And let's get those t-shirts rolling. I fucking love Nordic Combine t-shirts coming soon, right? We we, we want to see them. <laughs> I may I may honestly get on that tomorrow because I think it's great. Yeah, you, you hit me up as soon as you got them. Go, I'll be your first. I'll be the first person to buy one. So uh, you okay. got your first customer cool. already, go Taylor great pleasure to chat with you today mate best of luck we will keep an eye on how everything goes and and bring home the medal in beijing we're saying it right now it's it's back to the podium for us nordic when it comes to the olympics we look forward to seeing it thank you you guys have a good one Massive, massive thanks there to Taylor. Such an honest and open chat. Really got a lot out of that. And as always, if you want to watch the video of that interview available on our YouTube channel, search for Off The Podium on YouTube and you can watch that one there as well. And I am going to wear the shit out of I Fucking Love Nordic Combined t-shirt if that happens. So I look forward to it, Taylor. I'll be wearing that every day during Beijing basically to uh, drum up my support. Support for the sport. The support for the sport. There you go. That that works. Got some more great athlete interviews coming your way as we get closer and closer to Beijing. The best way to stay in touch with all of these episodes are on social media. Of course, all good podcast platforms. Search her off the podium. Mash that subscribe button and stay up to date. Send us a message. We'd love to hear what you're thinking of the show and uh, what you're thinking of our guests and everything else in between. We always love hearing from you. We read every message and we always generally reply. So uh, there you go if you want to shoot us something through there. And yes, very excited for Beijing. We're getting so close right now. You're hearing us every single bloody day you're gonna be really almost getting sick of our voices which let's be honest is, is not really a bad thing so uh stay tuned here to off the podium because you won't want to miss a single beat as we get closer and closer to the olympics my name is ben thanks again to taylor special shout out as always to jason momoa and also as always remember go left What an episode. You loved every single second of it. It's Ben again, just quickly reminding you once again, if you want to help us win a sports podcast award, sportspodcastawards.com register to vote, click on best Olympic and Paralympic podcast section, listen to the other nominees and then go, Hey, off the podium's awesome. They're so good. They put in so much work and so much effort and we just love them. And they deserve to go on the podium for once. Ben's awesome. Jared's awesome. Colin's okay, but he's also kind of awesome. We'd really appreciate it. And particularly if you've actually listened to the rest of this and ended up here because generally I assume you've well and truly tuned out by now. But seriously, if you're at this point of the podcast, then you're a true listener and that means that you're a true fan and you should vote for us. Sportspodcastawards.com. Do it now. We will thank you forever, literally ever, like every episode moving forward. We will thank you forever. Sportspodcastawards.com. All right. Thanks for tuning in we'll speak to you next time on Off the Podium. I'm I'm really going to go now. Bye.